Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, we'll read verses 28 of Hebrews 12 through verse 8 of Hebrews 13. So remember that this portion of the book of Hebrews is shifting to practical concerns, the practical application that belongs to a life in God's kingdom, in the unshakable kingdom. And in the unshakable kingdom is the practical concern of marriage, which we come across in verse 4 of chapter 13. So we'll read verses 28 of chapter 12 through verse 8 of chapter 13, but our text for today is only chapter 13, verse 4. Hear now the reading of God's word. Therefore... Since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves are in the body. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Let's pause one more moment to pray. Father in heaven, send your Holy Spirit to us now. Enlighten our minds as we attend to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hebrews 13.4 is a straightforward, remarkable verse, and yet is surrounded by challenges, as you may feel as you turn your thoughts to consider what the Bible has to say about marriage. The verse is very straightforward. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. But maybe you realize, even from that verse, that it occurs as a one-verse sermon. The book of Hebrews is not 13 chapters on what Christian marriage ought to be. In fact, This is the only verse in the book of Hebrews that deals with the topic of marriage. So you're moving through the book of Hebrews and hearing about all the ways in which Jesus Christ is better than any other person, even in the rest of the Bible. You're hearing expression after expression of the gospel, and then we come to this acknowledgement that we are members of the unshakable kingdom, the kingdom that will have no end, And 
the author and the Holy Spirit turn to practical concerns and throw out this one-verse sermon on marriage, that marriage is to be honored by all, that the marriage bed is to be undefiled, that adulterers and fornicators will be judged. In addition to this one-verse sermon and the challenge that poses, it is very fascinating that it says marriage is to be held in honor by all. It doesn't say, hey, if you're married, you should honor the institution of marriage. No, it applies itself to everyone. In the one-verse sermon on marriage is a call to every single one of you, whether you are a child, a grown-up, or uh, a teenager, whether you are a man or woman, whether you are currently married or currently single or currently engaged, whether you have a, a marriage in your past. And then you get into all the different things that are, are true of the world in which we live in, all of the, the different categories of thought, all of the different ways in which there is fornication or adultery, the fact that we live in a world with homosexuality and the fact that that isn't just something uh, necessarily out there, but actually a, a sin that even people in the church struggle with, or perhaps is, is, is a sin that our own relatives struggle with in various ways. I'll get into the, the idea of divorce and maybe um, having a divorce in your background or still struggling through the process of a divorce. All of these different categories of thoughts, all of the different um, ways in which we struggle to uh, around marriage come to our mind as we read this one verse sermon that says marriage is to be honored by all. So we have some challenges to work through and I think when we come to this verse really what we should say as Christians is this verse and the Christian faith it requires us to have sensitivity. It's not that we shrink from what the Bible teaches concerning marriage. It's not that we're afraid to profess and confess what God the Creator says about marriage. But we are called to have sensitivities concerning the subject matter here. So today we're going to look at this one verse, this one verse sermon that it comes to us through the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at it in two different ways. We're considering the verse, but doing so from two different aspects. First, a call for biblical humility. This will, biblical humility enables us to, to chart the course through dealing with biblical marriage in a constructive and productive way so a call for biblical humility and then a call to honor biblical marriage. So a call for biblical humility and then a call to honor biblical marriage. And as we think about all of these different categories of people, some of which we've just named and think about uh, just realizing that in a church you certainly have people struggling through various sexual sins and realizing that Sexual sins are sort of inherently uncomfortable to speak about. I think it's so important to begin with insisting on biblical humility. Because if you don't, you're really not going to hear Hebrews 13.4. When it comes 
to sexuality and sexual sins, our greatest danger as Christians is self-righteousness. Is just to use a verse like Hebrews 13.4 to look down on the rest of the world. I remind you of Luke chapter 18, verse 11, which tells us, in which Jesus Christ tells us of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Just listen to how the Pharisee prays, and take note that he, he prays to himself. He's so proud, he's not even talking to God. He's really just boosting his own pride, talking to himself about how great he is. Hebrews 18, uh, I'm sorry, Luke 18, 11, the, Pharisee of, uh, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. You see, we come to Hebrews 13.4 that says, honor marriage, all of you. And our knee-jerk initial response can be to take that as a verse to go and pray like the Pharisee. Lord, I thank you that I have a Christian view of marriage. Lord, I thank you that at my church on Sunday, I confess what you have to say about marriage. I thank you, Lord, that I am not a fornicator. I thank you that I am not an adulterer. I thank you that I am not a homosexual. I thank you that I do not think, struggle with being trans or whatever the case might be. I thank you that I am not like other people. And you see that with that approach, you're really not honoring marriage. You're playing the Pharisee. You're bolstered through self-righteousness. You're not even speaking to God, but praying to yourself, as it were, thinking about how great you are instead of actually taking Hebrews 13.4 to heart. So I think the, the first step in this biblical humility is saying, Lord, keep me from using Hebrews 13.4 as one more reason to go and pray like a Pharisee. But Biblical humility doesn't stop there. That's maybe the first step. But I want to remind you of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart decimating, isn't it? I know you've heard that before, but wow, doesn't that rattle you? You come to a verse like Hebrews 13:4 and you say, "Well, thank God I have a biblical view of marriage and I'm not committed in in the process of committing adultery. I'm not uh, in the middle of an adulterous affair." And the tendency then becomes towards self-righteousness, but you hear the prayer of the Pharisee and you say, "I don't want to pray like the Pharisee prays." Then you hear Jesus' own words. And they rattle you because in Hebrews 13.4, it says, God will judge the adulterer. And Jesus says, even if you have looked on a woman to lust, 
even if you have had lust in the heart of some sort, you're guilty of adultery. You know, even if you're doing really well at this moment in time when it comes to the realm of sexual sin, it's humbling to say, well, have I always been do, done this well? Even if on this Sunday morning you're not trapped in some sort of sexual sin habit or struggling grievously with some sort of sexual sin, you look back over your life and you say, have I always done this well? Have I ever struggled? Have I ever lusted? Have I ever committed the sin which Jesus Christ says adultery is adultery in the heart? It's convicting, rattling, even decimating, humbling. So I want to come to you with Hebrews 13.4. Honor marriage. God will judge fornicators and adulterers. And I want to say it's a call to repentance for whoever you are. No matter what your background is, no matter what you struggle with or don't struggle with, no matter what your particular sins are, see Hebrews 13.4 as a call to humility, to conviction over sin, and to repentance. Don't just think it condemns everybody else. Be humbled by it yourself. See it as a call to repentance. Be grateful for the words we find in 1 John verses 8, 1, 8 through 9. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Instead of fearing God will judge fornicators and adulterers and thinking, well, thank God, that's not me. Say, you know what? At some point in my life, maybe even right now, I am guilty of those sins. But I look to Jesus Christ. I look to my perfect righteousness. I look to my only comfort in life and in death, I look to the once for all sacrifice that forever satisfies divine justice. I look to Jesus Christ, my great high priest, the one mediator between God and man who was nailed to the cross for my sake and for my sin, even my sins of fornication and adultery. I look to Jesus Christ for salvation from those sins. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. I look to Jesus Christ who was judged on Calvary's cross even for my own sins of fornication and adultery, no matter how grievous, no matter how terrible, no matter how wicked, no matter how damaging they were, I look to the God who judges those sins and I see that judgment poured out on Jesus Christ himself for my sake. See Hebrews 13.4 as a call to repentance. We're humbled by it. We're convicted by it. We repent in light of it and look to the cross where God judged our 
sin. And you see how that opens you up to empathy towards others who are caught in sexual sins, who are struggling with sexual sins, who are struggling with fornication and adultery in the common way in which we think of those terms, but also other sins, homosexuality, transgenderism, whatever the case might be. We don't have to be embarrassed to say what sin is or to say what God says sin is. But in humility, with conviction of our own sin, we look out and see the sins of the world and say, you know what? Instead of praying the prayer of the Pharisee, I recognize that not everybody sins the same way I do. There's people that struggle with sins that don't look like my sins. And their great need isn't for me to say, don't worry about it. God is a God of love. Your sin doesn't matter. Their great need is to hear, hey, I'm a sinner too. My sin might not look like your sin. But I have found God who is a God of grace. God who is a cre the creator of all things. God who has designed things to be a certain way. And my sin was nailed to the cross through Jesus Christ. Come to him in faith and trust. Believe him. Trust in him. Look to him. Don't say it's not sin. Be honest about your sin before God, whatever that sin might be, however it might, whatever form it might take. Empathize with the sinner so that you can lead the sinner to the cross. And through this call to biblical humility, in which we remind ourselves to not pray like the Pharisee, in which we see that we stand convicted by verses like this, that we repent, that we empathize with others, look at how that brings you to a readiness to receive the message of Hebrews 13.4. It works through pride and lays aside all of the different layers that pride calcifies you in. And all of a sudden you say, now, now I'm... I'm not just using this verse as reason to look down on others. I'm convicted by it myself. I see that I'm guilty of fornication and adultery in one way, shape, or form, at least at some point during my life, but I have found grace through Jesus Christ who is judged on my behalf. And now I hear the message of Hebrews 13.4. And each of you, no matter who you are, young or old, man or woman, single or married, you're called to hear the message. Marriage is to be held in honor by all. Well, how do you honor marriage if you're a child? I suggest you look at the marriage of your parents and observe it. Ask your parents about marriage. Ask what marriage is supposed to be like. Appreciate the ways in which your mom and dad love one another. What if you've been previously married? What if you had a long and wonderful marriage that you now look back on and you don't have your spouse in this life any longer? How are you to honor marriage because you are part 
of the all that Hebrews 13, 4 speaks of. You know, as a, a married man, one of the most encouraging things I could ever hear is from uh, an older person, perhaps even a widow or a widower, who's able to say, I was married for 35 years, or I was married for 40 years, or maybe even I was married for 50 years. And the Lord was so good to us. The Lord used that marriage. That what a blessing it was to be married those 50 years. You know what an encouragement that is to me? I've, been, had, the blessi- I've had the blessing of being uh, married 19 years. But what a thrill it is to hear. I think that's like the greatest accomplishment you could have in this day and age is to be able to say 35 or 40 or 50 years, the Lord blessed us with a happy marriage year in and year out. Yes, all of our flaws, all of our sins, all of our being a work in progress, but the Lord blessed us with a Christian marriage for all of those years. You honor marriage by communicating that to us who have not been married that long. What if you're single and you want to be married? That was encouraging for me to think about that. I was in that position. I was at that stage in life. A single man at 19 years old. I remember praying to God and saying, Lord, I don't think I have what it takes to be single. But it's not my call, oh Lord. That's up to you. If you want me to be married, then introduce me to a Christian female who I can one day marry in the Lord. You see, that's starting, that's the way to to honor marriage and to think about your station and to realize Jesus Christ was a single man who honored marriage by seeing it as from God, even though he didn't marry himself. All of you, no matter who you are, Ask the question, how should do I honor marriage? Another way to honor marriage is by appreciating it as something that comes from God. It's God's design. It's God's idea. It's amazing that in a world in which we are surrounded by sexual sins and the publicizing of those when we want surrounded by TV shows that just advance promiscuity in so many different ways, a world that is just crying for you to get involved in immorality and fornication surrounds us every which way. Isn't it almost breathtaking to stop and think, you know what? Sex was God's idea. It's his design. Look at the verse. Not just honor marriage, but the bed is to be kept undefiled. The marriage bed is to be kept undefiled. We're reminded that it is God's idea, and we honor marriage by recognizing it as God's idea and as God's design. In Genesis 2, where we read about the first marriage of the first created couple, Adam and Eve, we remember that this was before sin. This was in paradise. In paradise, there was marriage. In paradise, there was sexuality by God's design. Gotta love the humor of uh, Genesis 2, verse 18. 
in Genesis 2.18, we read, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. I think you remember the reoccurring word throughout Genesis 1. God makes this, and then he says, It's good. Then he makes something else, and he says, It's good. Then he makes something else and says, It's good. It's Genesis 1. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Genesis 2, God looks on poor old Adam all alone, sees him alone and says, not good. And boy, does that ever echo through history. (laughs) Men left to themselves, no good. Doesn't mean you can't be single. Jesus was single. The apostle Paul is single. But God, by his order, by his design, has realized that he made man with the need for a helper suitable to him. That's not degrading. That's not demeaning. It's the way God has made us. Both male and female are made in God's image, but made in God's image to complement one one another. Beautiful language in Genesis 2.22. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Marriage, sexuality, God's idea. I believe it was Martin Luther who had this uh, tremendous thought that he expressed, and they don't have the exact quote, but he said, think about it. God could have created every last person to have ever existed. He could have brought into existence every individual through the same process by which he brought forth Adam and Eve. But in his design, in his wisdom, in his creativity, he decided to do it through marriage, through the marriage bed undefiled, bringing forth out of nothing different individuals, different people, different image bearers of God, every human being who have ever populated this earth. We honor marriage by saying it's God's idea. It's by God's design. And yes, we honor marriage through the practical application of this verse. I I don't want to cover all of the different categories of people and put our minds on all of that without us just coming to marriages that are present in this congregation. The marriage of men and women. How do you honor marriage, married people? Men, how do you honor marriage in your marriage? Women, how do you honor marriage in your marriage? Just start by believing this. Marriage isn't just something, a good marriage isn't just something that happens. It takes hard work. It takes commitment. Don't buy into the culture's lie of falling in love and never falling out of it. Realize that something as important as marriage and honoring it, it's going to take hard work. Are you willing to read books about what a good marriage looks like? Are you willing to speak to people who have been successfully married for longer than you have? And to say, how have you done it? What has worked for you? 
How did you get through raising teenagers? How did you keep the romance alive? How are you still in love with one another? When you hear somebody, a couple that's been married for longer than you have, and and they say, we're more in love now than we ever had been before, are you willing to say, how have you done that? What does that look like? Here's where I struggle. Are you humble enough to seek counsel when it comes to your marriage? Honor your marriage. Honor marriage. If necessary, are you willing to seek counseling? There's no shame in that. There's absolutely nothing wrong when it comes to something as difficult and serious as marriage. To realize you might need a book to get you through where you are now. Or that you might need more than a book. You might need a biblical counselor to step into your life and to say, here's some good God-given advice on how to better honor your marriage. If you're married, are you willing to take the small steps to honor your marriage? Are you willing to honor marriage through small step after small step? Are you willing to continue seeing your spouse as a work in progress? why we had the assurance of pardon that we had that reminded us that we have not appeared as yet what we will be. As a married man, as a married woman, are you willing to see your spouse as someone who is not yet what they will be? still corrupted by sin to some extent, still marred and plagued by sin, not where he or she she should be. Are you willing to look at that with sanctified eyes and say, but wow, the Lord is at work in my spouse. The Lord even uses me as a husband or as a wife to continue leading my spouse heavenward. One day I will get to see the perfection of my Christian husband, my Christian spouse, my Christian wife. Women, married women, are you willing to continue submitting, continue respecting your very flawed work in progress, still hasn't arrived yet, husband. Men, even when you don't get the respect that you think you deserve, do you love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her? Do you go through life thinking about your wife and thinking, how can I sacrifice for her? How can I lay aside my own rights and privileges and serve my wife so that submission for her is a joy and a delight? See, in so doing, you honor marriage. I understand that Hebrews 13.4, and honestly, 
what the Bible teaches about relationships and sexuality and marriage is not even thought of as quaint and old-fashioned by our culture anymore, but is thought of as closed-minded and even dangerous. But I want you to see Hebrews 13.4 and focus on the positive. See it as an opportunity that we are a church of the Lord Jesus Christ that sees Jesus not only as Savior but also as Lord, that he speaks into our life and that he here in these words, in this one-verse sermon, says here's a way to live before the world. Honor marriage. Keep the marriage bed undefiled. See fornication and adultery as sin. Do this despite what the world around you says. Do this despite how unpopular this message might be. Do this even if every TV show in the world seems to advance some other morality, some other idea. The words of Winston Churchill came to my mind as I thought about this and thought about you all living before the watching world as Christ has called you to live. At one point during World War II, Winston Churchill made this exclamation. These are not dark days. These are great days. The greatest days our country has ever lived. And we must all thank God that we have been allowed, each of us according to our station, to play a part in making these days memorable in the history of our race. Well, I'm not sure these are the greatest days of our country. But I know this, that we all are called to honor marriage and that through God's word and by the work of his Holy Spirit, we are enabled to, through our connections in life, through our singleness, through our marriedness, through the through the, the church itself, through the families God has placed us in, we are all enabled to honor the idea of God, which is marriage, and thereby testify to the world all around us that is lost in darkness. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that you would enable us to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, that we would certainly be humble, that we would rejoice that a verse like Hebrews 13.4 reminds us of the forgiveness that we have, that we would see in it a future orientation and a call to repent, and also a call to live before the watching world as a testimony not only to your saving grace, but also to your lordship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.